Hey, it's Nick from 50 Campfires. As you probably know, 50 Campfires is dedicated to family camping. It's really our mission to get people outside and outside more often. Traditionally, the Daily Outdoor Podcast is dedicated to topics that directly affect this take on the world. In early September, I had the chance to sit down with Mark Norquist. He operates a brand called Modern Carnivore. I met Mark about a year ago when both of us were attending the Outdoor Blogger Summit in Bentonville, Arkansas, and we immediately hit it off. I asked Mark to meet me at a local brewery outside of Minneapolis to share his views on the connections between camping, foraging, fishing, and even hunting. As we sat and talked, I couldn't help but nod my head to much of what Mark was saying. I hope you go into this episode with an open mind. Enjoy. Your earliest outdoor memory. Can you remember it? Mm. My earliest outdoor memory. got to go back in the database. That was a while ago. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be the full story, but just what, you know, what, what is it about, what, what is it that you remember earliest? Well, you know, one thing I remember is when I was about five, going out goose hunting in Lackaparra in western Minnesota with my dad. And I uh, still got a picture of that. Of me really? holding up this goose that my dad shot, and uh, I was pretty proud of him. And that was a, I think, a good reflection of a lot of my experiences as a kid with the outdoors. Both my brothers and I have one older brother, one younger brother, and so much of what we did with our dad was outdoors and hunting, fishing, foraging, hiking, doing different things like that. Yeah. So you. You have a brand called Modern Carnivore, right? And I, I mis- misunderstood it the first time I heard it. I, I thought you were the Modern Carnivore, and that turns out not to be true. Even though you might be the definition of the Modern Carnivore, what's the elevator pitch? What is Modern Carnivore? Modern Carnivore is a, a platform, digital platform, that helps awaken the hunter that lives within every one of us, whether we realize it or not. And that is really a connection to the outdoors through the acts of hunting, fishing, and foraging, where we're out actually with an objective of, of helping find sustenance, food. And, and it's something that humans have done throughout time, and it's just as of late, in the last 20, 30, 50 years, you could say, where we've disconnected from that culturally as a society, as we've gotten more urban-centric. And uh, so our, our mission is, is to help people uh, connect to the outdoors in those ways, especially if they have no background in it. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna, I wanna challenge you. It's kind of, I think, kind of fun, a fun idea is, you use the word hunt, and I think that a lot of people that don't participate in hunting find the idea of, especially to your point in today's society, find the idea of hunting to be a, maybe an aggressive term. How are you, you know, I, I've heard guys like Land Townie speak, right, he's the, the backcountry hunters and anglers, and he really talks about it in the same way. How, how are you getting over those barriers of, of maybe even traditional words that aren't wrong, whether it's hunting or kind of 
I don't want to say being a predator, but kind of being at the top of the food chain. How are you leveraging and allowing people to come into that that maybe find the to be off-putting? Yeah. No, it's a really good question. And it's not it's not a simple discussion to have. It's it is complex. And and what I would say is is you know you used the word aggressive uh, a moment ago. Um, other words that that come to mind would be violent or sure. violence. Okay. Yeah. Um, and those are those are pretty evocative words that, that, that you get a visceral reaction to right away. Right. They're polarizing. Yeah, words. they yeah. are abs- absolutely. The reality is the natural world is a violent place. For one life to continue, you can't deny it. Another life, more often than not, um, ends. Sure. And whether you're whether you're a plant eater or or a meat eater, an omnivore, carnivore, or an herbivore. Right. You know, some type of life is generally ending. That's how you get energy. That is how one continues. And so, to deny that is falling. You know, it's it's just it's just it's denying facts. So then it's a really a question of okay, do you eat meat? Do you think it's meat is an important part of your diet? Well, the majority of people do. I personally feel very strongly that that's a healthy part of the, of the human diet. I would say the, the majority of America eats meat. Yeah, right? the majority is oh, not absolutely. vegetarian. No, 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 yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So if you do eat meat, then the, then the question is where are you going to get it? And increasingly in recent years, we've become disconnected from that. Used to know, used to go down to the local, local butcher shop, and there's the ham hock hanging in the window. You even had a visual reminder of the animal where it came sure. from. Sure, yeah. Now it's cellophane-wrapped, Everything's trimmed off, and it just looks like a piece of meat. You don't associate it with the life that was given so you could continue yours. You know, that's an interesting point because the 50 Campfires office, we get into this debate a lot. We don't talk about hunting on the platform. It's it's camping, and I think that that's really why I was interested in talking to you is because you're able to connect those two things. But one of the things that with this word for, for people that don't want to acknowledge where meat comes from, and it's this idea that they have a dishonest relationship with meat. Right? Absolutely. They're, they're willing to consume it. And they want to be part of kind of the end result of it, but not think about kind of where that came from or, or how that existed in its relationship to the outside world in a place that we already we're already interacting with. Absolutely. No, it, it is it is about transparency, it's about honesty. It's about our, our tagline is eating meat responsibly. Sure. And so, <laughs> so you're not overdoing it. <laughs> you can't drive after you go. <laughs> but it is. It's 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 saying if you if you eat meat now now if you don't eat meat and you're vegetarian, we can just agree to disagree as sure. to whether it's an important part of the human diet and is it the most right, responsible. That's, there's a whole different level. Of, it's not even probably even worth having the conversation. Exactly. Just agree to disagree. Yep. But if you do eat meat. I would argue that there's no more honest way of doing it, and and and, and we're we're not also saying that you have to have to go out and hunt, um, go out and fish, go out and forage. Those are those are for the people who have an adventurous side, and I think like your audience as campers, we often talk about going from observer to participant. If you're camping, you're already in the environment. Correct. And so rather than just saying, "Hey, isn't it a beautiful morning?" Why not say, isn't it a beautiful morning? Oh my gosh, look at those tracks there. I wonder, you know, where did those come from? Let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the environment and truly participate in it 
whether you are, again, foraging for something or out hunting something or going to toss a line in the water, it just enriches that outdoor experience, I believe. I think foraging is a really interesting uh, kind of pathway into, I don't know if consuming the outdoors is the right way, but yeah, you are. It, it, it's, it's an interesting path because, you know, a lot of outdoors people, whether you're a hiker, a camper, you know, let's say geocaching, right? Yeah. You're already on this treasure hunt yeah. where you're out exploring the outdoors and in nature. The difference with something like foraging and, you know, maybe not fishing and fishing being its own separate subsect of that, but foraging, whether it's berries or mushrooms or whatever, you've got this kind of, you're almost on this wild scavenger hunt. And the, the reward at the end is this thing that either you have or have not had, and it gives you the opportunity to get it yourself. Absolutely. Now it's, it's you know, if you think about it, having a meal at the end as a yeah. reward, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience. And what's fun, so especially with kids, is seeing their eyes light up when they're part of that and try something maybe that they wouldn't have been comfortable with in the past. And foraging can be a great way. You know, it depends on you're going after berries, you're going after nuts, mushrooms, what have you. There's all kinds of things out there. Yeah. And, um, it's, and it's a lot of fun. I would love to follow up with you after after this gets posted and maybe put in the podcast notes of if, if there's any place where people can get more information on identifying things that they could forage in their different areas because I think there's a, it's almost a scary thing if you've never done it before to say, I can eat that berry, I can't eat that one, that's a good nut to eat, that's a bad one. Yeah. That one's going to give me a rash, that one's... <laughs> Right, right. Whatever. No, it is. totally. There's all kinds. Of, there, there are all kinds of resources out there, depending upon what you want. You know, when it comes to berries, I don't even venture that far out in a lot of things. You know, you've got your typical blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, strawberries sure. that are out there, and they look just like the store-bought ones. Yep. Only usually smaller, with ten times the flavor of what the big store-bought ones have. Yep. Um, and when it comes to mushrooms, definitely. You know, there's what what's called the foolproof four of mushrooms. And I know myself personally, a lot of the, the people I work with and are the part of the Modern Carnivore platform know mushrooms much more detailed than I do. But I'll stick to a, a, a core few that are amazing, and, and, it's, and, and you can get ones that, that, are, that are pretty foolproof. But you have to be careful. You, you don't want to just randomly go out in the woods and start picking something. <laughs> it's a bad, I, I'm glad to hear you're not recommending me do that. <laughs> you know, it's funny, you, when you were saying that, and I had asked you what your earliest outdoor memory is, as you said that, my earliest outdoor memory is probably of foraging. One of my favorite things to do as a kid was ride my bike to the end of the road that I lived on. I grew up in the country in southeastern Wisconsin, and there was a mulberry tree, right? And I would, I would ride my bike down there and sit and eat those berries, and my hands would be covered. They'd be purple by the time yeah, I got home, yeah. but it was, it was one of my favorite things to do because they, you know, they came for just a short amount of time. Yeah. You know, kind of being familiar with the area and familiar with the outdoors in the area, I knew when they were ready to go, and I would sit there and eat them. Mulberries are a great example, even though it is an invasive. Yep. But um, they were just a few weeks ago, totally the height of, of picking. Our neighbor had this huge has this huge tree. He was dropping them all over, and I asked him if I could stop over and collect a bunch. I was going to yeah. make a pie. I've never made anything with them. Sure. But they are great, exactly. And there's a good example of something where... It's in suburbia in a lot of different regions of the country where you could just do, have a little fun outing right in your neighborhood. Yep. Another one is black walnuts. We've got several sure. black walnut trees in our yard. They're dropping right now. 
they're a little bit, you know, a little bit harder to to get to a point where you can eat them. You right. got to dry them and everything. I was going to say you're not eating them raw. No, that's right? <laughs> good. <laughs> so one of the things that you know, I know that you've you've talked about in the past is this local food movement, and that's why I thought it was fitting that you and I kind of meet at this. We're at a local brewery right now in Minnesota, and one of the things that I think is really interesting is tracing back the history of beer and craft beer. Yeah. And the origin of craft beer was that pretty much every brewery was craft beer. And what made them unique and different from each other was the availability of ingredients in proximity to the brewery, right? So it was the water, it was the grains, it was the hops, all the things that were available. And if you got too far outside of that region, it was no longer worthwhile to bring them in so that another brewery would pop up. But you know, talking about local water and how that's important, and maybe even kind of the local food movement. What what are other trends that you're seeing of how kind of the mainstream is picking up on local food and the local food movement, whether it's, you know, because it's healthier, because it's more readily available, because it's seasonal. Is there anything that you... Yeah, I mean, there's so many things going on. That's what I think is um, is fascinating. You know, we're going through such a change culturally in our, in our country in so many ways. Um, and, and this is just one of them. And people are wanting to reconnect. It's sort of a universal truth, I think. We get too far away, almost like what you just said with the, with the, with the, the, uh, the breweries, the advent of them. You know, we get too far away from understanding where our food comes from, and we're just naturally going to want to reconnect. That's what's going on in every way. So whether it's whether it's figuring out uh, what the local breweries are to um, you know ranchers and farmers, pig farmers with heritage breed pigs, grass-fed sure. beef. Um, you know, we're seeing out right out here there there are hops growing on the vines. I you love know, seeing that. Yeah. yeah, you got the hop growers which are popping up all over. People making doom on small, relatively small plots. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different things like that going on. The CSAs with vegetables. There's meat CSAs that are sort of following in that same vein where you're going to get your weekly delivery or your monthly delivery. Isn't that it? Once you really stop and think about how far away your meat potentially came, yeah. if you're in a grocery store, especially a big chain, where that meat came from, how it was bought, sold, all those things, really starts to make you think. I mean... People are even questioning what's in packaged foods. Yeah, I think people are more ready to question what's in a packaged food versus willing to question what's in a, a, a fresh food, right? A yeah. perceived fresh food, especially at a grocery store. Yeah, right. They, there's uproars about salmonella outbreaks in cereals, yeah. right? Yet at the same time, we're not asking those same questions about meat or milk or right whatever that other perceived fresh. No, when you look at meat, the whole industrial food system, um, you know, has gotten so big. You have what's called CAFOs, uh, contained animal feed operations. Yep. You know, which a lot of times are beef with 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 other animals. Um, we're so disassociated from that, from the old farmer that you buy, you know, your your meat from. And again, I think people should ask those questions, and those are the types of things we promote. So, you know, we're we're a lot about. A modern carnivore about introducing people who have an adventurous soul to, to hunt, fish, and forage. But if you're not up for that, it's still about asking the right questions about, you know, where's this meat coming from? Was that, was it, 
did they have antibiotics in them? You know, if it was if it was beef, was it corn fed? Was it grass fed? Etc. Those are all I think important questions that get to the essence of the meat itself. Yeah. And you know, relative to why people are wanting to do wild a lot of times is they are so much healthier a lot of times. When you look at venison versus beef, um, super high in omega threes, super low in fats. Um, just healthy, obviously no additives unless they're eating GMO corn, you could say, you know, there's certain sure. certain things in there. But it's interesting, you bring up an interesting point that an animal that's raised on one of these lots or a, a farm, where they're pumped full of things literally to keep them alive, Yeah. whether, whether they're going to live or not, versus an animal that lives in the wild, right? There's kind of this natural selection that's already happening in the wild, Yeah. an animal that you might go hunt has already made it to a stage where weaker or sick or yep. whatever ha haven't made it to. It's a very natural system. I think that's why relative to the health aspect, that's why, to be honest, a, a contingent that we see entering the hunting world in recent years, more so than many others, is women and a lot of moms. Yeah. Um, and I think they're concerned about, you know, what are they feeding their kids, about being connected. So if you look at women, you know, in 2001, just 10% of hunters were women. By 2013, that jumped to 19%. Of all hunters? Of all hunters. Wow. So it's a 3.3 3 million hunters as of a few few years ago, which is an 85% increase. That's just, insane. It is, it's crazy. And so that's what's fun is seeing, seeing stories of like this film we've got coming out next month, where we've got Becca as one of the women. She's, you know, uh, well, let me stop you. What is yeah. the film you've got coming out next month? So it's uh, it's called Awaken the Hunter Within. Okay. And it's uh, a seven-part web film nice. um, that anybody can can stream. Just go to modcarn.com forward slash Awaken the Hunter. And what we did was we took a year for this project, and we followed these three adults who said, yeah, I want to learn how to hunt. And they had zero background in it. Really? Yeah. All non-typical backgrounds. Two of the guys grew up in the heart of Chicago. One, an African-American, grew up in a, in, a, in a rough area of Chicago with, you know, gun violence there. So guns always meant something very negative to sure. him. He went through this evolution, and we follow that, and he talks about it, of how he got to this point of wanting to start talking. And we go out in the field with him all the way through this process to understand what that experience is. Wow. Was there, and I'm assuming because the films are released, everything came out all right? <laughs> everything. I don't want you to spoil it. Never mind. That's a spoiler. I don't want you to. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. You have to watch the film. Got it. But it's, it's, it's fun to see that journey there. So we break down basically six months of time into, into seven parts, anywhere from four to ten minutes on, okay. on average length. So it's not a massive time no, no. If someone wanted to even dabble and see, what does this look like? Is exactly. this for me? Because I, th I think that kind of the that, uh, traditional outdoor media channels are, are streaming things that might kind of where we started. Absolutely. Are, are maybe not a great place to jump off. They're not. A lot of people, a lot of people cringe with that. I myself, I've never watched a lot of that. A lot of that cable based. Sure. I, I cut the cable eleven years ago. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I haven't gone back. That's good for you. You know, and it's and it's a lot of it out there. There's great stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that isn't so great. And and the hunting, fishing media, I think has has been a big part of that. I don't. I think it doesn't 
draw new people in. And that's what we're trying to do, is, is draw people in and show them, um, doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, or what familiarity or lack of you have with the outdoors, you can you can do it. Yeah. Well, I had a, we took a trip, uh, I don't know, not you and I, but the 50 Campfires team took a trip. A couple weeks ago, we went to uh, Lake Michigan, and I was able to convince my sister, who hasn't fished since we were kids, to come meet us at Lake Michigan, and we spent a whole day, and one of the things that I enjoyed the most about that experience wasn't the fishing, even though I, I love fishing. It was the opportunity to sit and reconnect, and not only with each other, but with nature as well. And I think that that's, that's maybe a part that's overlooked. It to totally is, you know. It's, it, it really comes down to, for, for the hunting, why do people start hunting? It's, it's, it's a connection to the outdoors. It's conservation, and that's something a lot of people don't realize. Hunters... How so? What, is that? what do you mean by that? Hunters and anglers are the primary driver of conservation in America. I'll give you just one example. Yeah. Um, there's there's a, something called the Pittman-Robertson Act that was, that was enacted by the hunting industry and hunters themselves back in 1937. 30? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Put an excise tax on, on sales of outdoor gear, hunting gear, okay? Okay. Certain, certain types of hunting gear. Last year alone... That generated $797 million, 100% dedicated to wildlife restoration. Wow. So the thing that's, what I, what I didn't hear you say is that 100% of the money went back towards hunters. No. What I heard you say was wildlife restoration. So what's happening is that these this excise tax that's happening on kind of outdoor hunting equipment is is going back to kind of aid everyone in, in their appreciation of the outdoors. Absolutely, you know, and there, there are all kinds of, of nonprofit organizations within the hunting space that do great jobs relative to this, also Pheasants Forever as, as one of them. All of that work that they do for restoration, um, it's not specific to one species, it's, it's sure. every species benefiting. So if it is wetlands, if it is, if it is prairie lands, water, is, water quality is improving migratory birds, uh, butterflies, um, the, 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 all, all of the infrastructure that, that goes along with those wild places. And so that's, that's a big part of it. So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's connection, it's conservation. And the third one I was talking about is community. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a community of people that are supportive, that are connected. There are a few things these days, I think, where you literally, if you're fishing or hunting, like I'm guessing it was with you and your sister out on yep. the boat, where you sit down for hours upon end with nothing to do other than tend that line and reconnect. Some of my best conversations I've had with people have been in outdoor settings, right? When, when we're doing that thing, but in reality we're doing another thing as well. You know, it's funny that you talk about these places and, and habitats for animals. I've got a, I've got a young daughter, and when, when she was younger I was introducing her to hiking. And one of her biggest fears when we were out hiking was that there was going to be bears. And my response wasn't that there weren't bears out there. It was that I didn't want to spend any time outside where bears didn't want to be, right? Or deer or butterflies or any of those animals, right? The, the idea of conservation is that we're protecting these, these habitats where I want to spend time and the animals want to spend time. And that's, I think that's something that's really special. And I think that's important, not even just for your daughter, but for everyone to understand these days when we've gotten to a point of where 
we think of want to think of animals as these furry little little friends sure. that, that we can pet and cuddle like our pets at home. The reality is the wild is truly that wild. Yeah. And it can be dangerous. Like you said, yes, there are bears out here. Yeah. But would you want it any different? You know, that's that, that re, real nature, real wilderness. It, it is a beautiful, untamed place. And I don't think we'd want it any different. No. So I've heard you, you talked a little bit about this film series that you're doing. I've heard you talk about the restoration that's happening. If someone wants to, what's what's the, the doorway? I, I talk to a lot of even campers, but people that I've introduced to camping, where it almost seems like there's this barrier to entry. Yeah. And I think that unintentionally, whether it's the organizations or even the manufacturers of the gear to get you outside, there there's this barrier to entry in a wall that doesn't that prevents that. How does someone kind of dabble or even jump in kind of feet first into becoming more involved in participating outside. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think oftentimes we're our own worst enemies within these these uh, spaces of activity and, and industries. And um, so if you look at it from a standpoint of, of you know, people that follow 50 campfires, um, just look at the places where you're camping. If you're camping out on, in public lands, um, you know, state parks, national forests, national wildlife refuges, most all of these places allow hunting and fishing. Now you have to, if they're federally managed places, but within states you, you need to look at the state laws, game and fish laws, and follow what those are. Um, but even national parks, which is the common understanding, and it's actually incorrect, that all national parks do not allow hunting, right. which is not true. Sure. 39, I think it's, I think it's about 39, so about a third of national parks actually allow hunting. In the Midwest, Sleeping uh, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Park allows hunting. Yeah. Um, and so what I would say is, you know, if you're going out hunting, maybe just start by looking around and seeing, hey, is, is it, or if you're camping, is it allowed here? Is hunting allowed here? Where could a person go fishing? And then really it comes down to, if you're serious about it, and you're like, I want, I want to explore this. I think there's three steps to go through, which is first, explore what it means to be a hunter. You know, go out and find a website, find a book, find a friend, and talk about it. You know, at modcarn.com, we try to put a lot of content out there, which is just raising awareness around what the issues are, what is the culture about. Again, like I said, connection, conservation, and community. Um, it's not just pulling the trigger, which a lot of people, I yeah. think, dumb it down to. Right. And it's, it's very erroneous. It's just, yeah. Um, second, you know, go and ask somebody who hunts or fishes about it. You know, and maybe ask them if you can tag along, along on an activity. It could be any, be any number of things. Maybe they're going to a club event. They're part of a conservation organization. Ask if you can go to an event. Maybe they're going to go out and scout an area where they're going to put a deer stand. Maybe go out and have them point out the sign in the area. Sure. Um, or maybe they're even, you know, maybe they come back from a hunt and say, hey, can I watch you clean that animal or harvest right. it? What's interesting on this film that we did. Just jump right into that, man. <laughs> one of the guys, exactly. It's one of those things I generally would have thought, stay away from it. Like it's too, it's too grotesque you right. know, for the casual observer. There are people that are that are that say, no, I want to understand what this is all about and jump right in and find it fascinating. And so I've actually changed my tune on that and said, you know what, if you're interested, um, Come on in. Let's let's let, watch this and see how it works. And it and it can be fascinating and interesting. And then you know, third, 
really begin your own journey uh, into the hunting world by doing all the things that it would be that would be needed. Just like getting ready for a camping trip, just add a few things for your hunting trip. You know, um, one thing that's different is you're going to want to take a firearms or bull hunter safety course. That's a really good way to get into understanding what's what's involved with safe handling of, of these of these weapons. Um, Get out to a range, practice using that using that that implement. Um, secure the equipment. And I say secure the equipment, not necessarily purchase it because you don't have to always just buy it. Right. If you know somebody who does it, they're going to be more than happy to lend you things, whether it's clothes, boots, maybe a rifle, a bow, so you can try it out. Maybe they'll invite you to go along with them. Um, and then really figure out where you're going to go and purchase a license. You know, so I mean, there's. There's definitely some steps to it, but I think if you if you first talk to some people, just explore what it's about. I think that's a helpful way to, to approach it. Well, I think I think the idea, you know, the way that you introduced it of foraging and fishing and hunting, I think that the 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 barrier to entry to, to foraging, I'd be willing to bet that most campers are already doing that and not calling it foraging. <laughs> right? They're already Doing right, something. Right, right. You know, the number, the crossover of campers to fisher people, fishermen, is is really high. Yeah. A lot of people are already bringing in a rod and reel along with them as an activity to do while camping. And, you know, and I think that just that next step of hunting really depends on your level of comfort, but it's, it's an interesting thing to contemplate. If you're already participating in these other two kind of interactions with the outdoors of foraging and fishing, it seems like a pretty easy jump to at least be able to learn more about it. Totally, it, it it really is, and I and I think breaking down some of those stereotypes and and misconceptions of things, and that's right. I hope you know people just you know at a minimum go out and explore it and understand what the community is about. It's not just about wanting to go out and shoot something. It's about the full experience. Uh, I just saw somebody the other day who posted on Facebook uh, a picture of a of a uh, they were they were antelope hunting in New Mexico, and they had, it had a uh, a picture of a, of a skull of an antelope laying on the ground and he said uh, something to the effect of just came back from a successful hunt that was all he begged he didn't even beg it he, and sure, his point being he got himself uh, he found a skull he found a skull yeah and he never even shot but it was a wonderful experience and that is sure. what it is about it's it's not about pulling the trigger and so i think you know whether it's conservation whether it's the full experience understanding it yeah just understand a little bit more what it's about well, I have a feeling that you and I could sit here and talk all day about public lands and about getting out and different ways to get out, but I'm going to have to cut it off there. Mark, okay. I really appreciate your time hanging out. If people want to learn more about Modern Carn, what is the website? It's modcarn.com. It's short for Modern Carnivore. Very cool. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, Nick. I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my chat with Mark. And if you're interested take the time to visit the Modern Carnivore website. For more tips, tricks, gear reviews, recipes, and more, please visit us at 50campfires.com. And don't forget, please subscribe and rate the Daily Outdoor Podcast wherever great podcasts are found. I'll see you next time.